Hi and welcome. This is Laurent from OSINJobs.com and you're listening to the OSINT Jobs Podcast. OSINT has grown hugely in popularity and so it's no surprise that it's being used across many industries. On this show, I sit down with successful practitioners to discuss careers, jobs and skills to get a deeper insight into the world of OSINT. In this episode, we are talking to Lynn Dudenhöfer, who works as an OSINT and IMINT analyst at Hensoldt Analytics. Today's topic, working in the field of AI. We'll hear more from Lynn's career story and also dive deeper into some of the points she mentioned in a previous interview, which you can find on our site. Lynn, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. Happy to be here. So, Lynn, can you tell us more about the industry in which you're working in? So, as I said, today's topic, OSINT and AI. So, what do you do at Hensoldt Analytics? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm, I'm currently employed by Hensoldt Analytics. Uh, they are a global leader in open source intelligence, artificial intelligence, automatic speech record, and media monitoring and analysis, and especially the last two points I mentioned, media monitoring and analysis, that's where I come in. So Hensoldt Analytics, they offer a complete OSINT media monitoring solution. And it is my job then to use the software for various analyses and to also improve the software whenever I have an idea. And I pretty much monitor anything specific to our use cases, such as conflicts, crises, migration, displacement, election monitoring, hybrid warfare, so on and so forth. And I think we all know that machine learning and AI and big data analytics are going to be very important for OSINT investigations in the future. And specifically, a combination of these technologies can create quite a powerful and valuable tool across all sorts of sectors. And this is, this is what Hensoldt Analytics are doing. They've invented and are providing this open source intelligence analysis software that combines big data analytics and artificial intelligence plus speech record across, I think at the moment, more than 32 languages. So I reckon it is important to realize that these tools still have to be combined with a human analyst and human intelligence by the end of the day. Obviously is very much in my own interest to state this, uh, but um, I very much believe that we need the human brain to contextualize and fact check certain findings. However, what big data and AI can do for us though is to drastically minimize the manual search time. Okay, so you mentioned so many points, so many interesting points. So the first thing is that you act kind of like as a product manager. So you basically, you suggest new requirements or features for the system that you think can be useful. But at the same time, you also use the system, uh, leveraging AI capabilities, big data analytics and other technologies to then basically turn lots of publicly available information into intelligence. Um, maybe you can give us some examples on cases you've worked um, and just give us like a walkthrough of your, you know, day-to-day -day work. Because maybe there are some people who, who say, oh, that sounds interesting. So how does it look like day-to-day? -day? Yeah, for sure. So obviously I'm not the only one um, suggesting points or ideas of how to improve our, our platform, but I am one of the many people that are working on improving this software. But I think the interesting thing about Hensoldt Analytics is that we also have our own research and development department. So 
we are part of, for example, EU-funded um, research projects, right? And that's where many of our internal use cases come from as well. So, for example, last year I worked as part of a research project that is called EULAW, and it's funded by the European Space Agency, and we partnered with a company called uh, Planetech Hellas. They are in the uh, GIS uh, sector to detect terrorism and organized crime and particularly such things as training camp characterization, anomaly detection and activity monitoring. So this work package was led by Planetech Hellas, but the Hensort Analytics team was, a, was or is a subcontractor to this activity and in charge of the OSINT analysis, right? So that's... For example, where I analyzed, uh, monitored and analyzed the insurgency in Cabo Delgado in Mozambique last year. I mean, this insurgency has taken place for longer than just a year. It's actually taken place since 2017. However, in March 2021 last year, that's when uh, Palma in Cabo Delgado was attacked, um, which um, got quite a bit of media exposure. And that's where... Planetech Hellas and Hensort Analytics combined uh, satellite imagery and OSINT analysis to monitor the situation and verify certain narratives. So this is, for example, one of the use cases that I've participated in and where, you know, an analyst and the software comes in quite handy, especially when combined with other methods or other technologies such as satellite imagery, for example. You know, combining these methods is always very uh, valuable. So what you just described was basically merging two intelligence disciplines, imagery intelligence and open source intelligence. So you work on both ends. Um, how does that work? So where, where did you got your training from? I mean, the training for open source intelligence, I got uh, predominantly by learning by doing, to be honest. I mean, I got my first job in law enforcement and beforehand I had, you know, published a bit and I had learned a bit online, possibly via YouTube uh, tutorials, but I hadn't participated in any paid certificates on OSINT or anything like that. So I learned the old fashioned way by reading books pretty much and then learning by doing. Um, and obviously, the more I got into the industry, the more specific that training became right for open source intelligence. But for GIS in particular or imagery intelligence, I utilize platforms such as Coursera, where I mm -hmm. took a course or several courses that were offered by the University of Toronto on GIS analysis. And I found those to be very helpful. And um, that's what I rely on heavily in order to upskill. Yeah, professional development is, is so important. And I mean, this is one of the reasons why I also started OSINT Jobs, to help others, um, you know, grow their skills and advance their careers. But I also personally, feel I don't like being stuck with the skills that I have. I always want to just learn more because there is so much happening and so many different technologies come up and I want to be able to master them. And you also, you mentioned GIS. So this was one of the things I tried to learn last year. QGIS is like the, the free open source version of ArcGIS. I think ArcGIS is the commercial version. And I have to say, like, it was, it's tough, like, um, imagery analysis or the GIS space is pretty difficult to understand. And unfortunately I didn't have the time, but it's still on my, on my wish list, amongst other things such as data science. So it will never end. What do you think, like how important is professional development and how do you develop professionally? Yeah, I, I think it's a 
greatly important, especially in this industry, because it's so fast paced and, you know, new tools are being developed, well, constantly. So if you're not willing to A, be a fast learner and B, keep up with the situation at all times, then you will eventually fall behind and your way of, you know, solving complex issues in the open source intelligence realm will just be outdated, right? So this obviously cannot happen when you're working in this industry, which is why I think we need to take care of our own professional uh, development. So we can't just rely on on our employers to do it, right? Because we're all working full, well, most of us are working full-time jobs and the upskilling obviously happens on the job as well, but it also has to happen outside of the job. So I mean, my GIS course, for example, is by no means finished. I'm still, I'm still completing it, and I will just move from level to level on Coursera until I have uh, full confidence in my ability and skill yeah. set, <laughs> which may never happen, but we'll see. Yeah. Now I'm sure, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. But yeah, you mentioned really um, interesting points here, and and I totally agree with you that um, upskilling is so important not just to have this leverage over others, because at the end of the day, um, often people compete for jobs. Um, and what I can see already is a trend. So we can see globally a trend of people not wanting to work in an office. They want hybrid or remote. And you can, you can see this uh, already happening. And I think it's just a matter of time until the same thing will happen with OSINT globally, that there will be companies that will hire people and have them work remotely. First, it's, um, it can be cheaper. Um, if you have people from different countries, then you don't have to pay the, let's say the London minimum wage, uh, or the, you know, the extra amount. Um, this is one thing. And the other thing is also that you can, um, tap into local markets. So if you, for instance, monitor news in a particular region or country, you want a local language and you want, um, people who have kind of like a network kind of thing. Um, so that this is another reason. Um, why remote working in OSINT. I mean, this is for specific jobs, obviously, not for everything, but I can see this trend. And if you are now competing, not against, um, you know, just a handful of analysts, but thousands of analysts, you need to be pretty unique and distinct. And one way of doing this is not just to demonstrate the cases that you worked on, but also the skill set, such as being able to use Python, uh, being able to query big data with SQL um, or GIS, for instance. I, I certainly think that these things will um, make you stand out. In terms of professional developments, do you have any tips on how to do that? And also another question, which might be a bit trickier. Um, I don't like this term, but you know, in terms of work-life balance, any tips here on how to manage that as well? I mean, w- what a question. Um, <laughs> in terms of work-life balance, especially when you're also focusing on your own uh, professional development, I guess it's it's not easy to achieve that, you know, I think you really, it obviously helps if you're really in love with what you do, right? So if you then yeah. have to upskill out in addition to your full-time job, maybe as part of your job, but maybe also in addition to your job, if you love it, it obviously helps you, you know, because you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy yeah. doing doing it. So that's, that's one thing that may help with um, um, work-life balance. But the other thing is just always be aware of the fact that you know your energy is a limited resource so is your so is your willpower and yeah. so is your discipline right so taking some time off 
and just, you know, I don't know, going for a walk or for a run. I particularly go for, for runs here in, in, in Vienna, you know, in the vineyards and in, in the Wiener Wald. So, so that always helps me to clear my head and all, also helps me actually to solve some problems I've been thinking about, sometimes also work-related. So it is really beneficial to take that time, even if it's only an hour or a couple of hours, to, to, to kind of reset and then be able to return to whatever you're doing with a fresh mind, right? Because eventually, you know, regardless of how much you love what you're doing, your energy resources are going to be depleted. Yeah, you're absolutely right with taking the time off and to, to clear your head, trying to reset and trying to, you know, restructure your thoughts is absolutely important. And I think we, we all can relate to this, uh, especially since we, you know, all went through or are still going through, you know, the pandemic, uh, COVID-19 with all these lockdowns and some of us are still going through it. So it's very important to keep in mind that OSINT um, may be fun for some and some are privileged like myself, um, kind of like turn a hobby into something more professional and also be doing OSINT in a professional environment. Um, but it's also very important to just remind yourself that your health is also very important. So thanks for the reminder. Um, now let's move on to the next stage in this interview. But before I ask you about your career, let me just quickly summarize what we have discussed so far. We talked about the industry. Um, you as an OSINT and IMINT analyst, uh, you work in the field of AI. And then you also talked about professional development and how important it is for you. And then we quickly touched upon some of the, the challenges with professional development and work-life balance in general. I would now move on to the second section of this podcast, which is about your career. And to our listeners, Lynn, she already did an interview with us. It's published on our blog. So you can check it out. Um, and in this blog, she answered a couple of questions. And in this podcast episode, we just want to use the time to dive deeper into some of the, the answers. So we'll not go through everything, but before we start, maybe you can quickly summarize, um, how did you end up in this position? Yeah, for sure. So I actually hold two master's degrees, uh, which helped me a great deal. One was one I completed with the Uppsala University in Sweden. And it's actually in Holocaust and Genocide Studies. And the other one, which is more recent, um, I completed with the Faculty of Law at the University of Oxford. And it, it was a Master's of Science in Criminology and Criminal, criminal Justice. So that's my starting point, which I thought at the time was very impressive. Um, only to yeah. learn that I was lacking, I was severely lacking work experience. <laughs> <laughs> which was a humbling experience, I might yeah. say. Um, but what helped me definitely was to, to network. So I grew my LinkedIn network already while I was studying, trying to connect with experts in the field and the industry I wanted to get in. I may have started that a bit too late, but mm. um, I, I'm, I'm happy that I did it anyway. You know, so if, if I could go back in time, this was one of your other questions that I'm just going to answer now already. Yeah. It was a question in the original interview. If I could go back in time, I would have started networking earlier because, it, you know, it could have answered so many questions for me if I had re just reached mm -hmm. out to people earlier. But anyway, I did network, which helped me. And then I started publishing online. So publishing online is... If you know anything about peer re review journals, not the fastest process, and it's quite complex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it takes a long time. But 
it was definitely it was definitely worth it. So I got my well, I, I kind of compartmentalized my thesis, my master's uh, thesis from the University of Oxford. I analyzed the prevent duty in the UK, which is part of the UK counterterrorism strategy. And anyway, I don't want to dive too deep into that, but <laughs> I, um, I uh, divided that into several articles. And I managed to get some of these articles published with uh, journals, such as the Journal for Deradicalization, I think they're called. And at least when I graduated, they were still accepting articles from recent graduates, which was very helpful, right? So that was, you didn't have to have published before, you just had to submit a really good, really well-researched article that then had to withstand a peer review and if it did you know the publication still took half a year or so but if it did then it would be published and then you had an article published about a topic that you know specific to what you studied in a peer-reviewed series journal which was great and so i continued down that track and i tried to publish as much of my work that i'd already done as part of my studies anyway online which looks great on your resume and that's why i did it at the end of at the end of the day to be more competitive in this already very competitive field yeah so on top of that i i completed some unfortunately unpaid internships um which helped me to get some work experience they weren't related to the intelligence field they were more related to the human human rights field you know um, Mm -hmm. i completed an internship with amnesty international for example but then Was it paid? I have to interrupt you. Was it paid or unpaid? Unpaid. Shame on them. (laughs) It was all unpaid. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of unpaid interviews. I had to go through these things as well. And I want to stress in this podcast as well that on All Sin Jobs, we will not promote any internships that do not pay because it's very hard. It's very difficult for people because at the end of the day, um, with organizations, um, it's they, you do the work, you have to pay them. That's the bottom line. So sorry to interrupt you, but this was important. No, you're all good. I mean, it also creates an uneven playing field, right? Because some people just don't have the means to work for no money. Um, Even if they desperately need the experience to be competitive in this field, right? Um, So they just won't be able to do it. And luckily, I mean, fortunately, we see more and more paid internship opportunities coming uh, popping up, especially Mm. in the private sector. So um, I'm very happy to to, uh, see that develop more and more. Any, anyhow, so growing the network, publishing online, and then even though I did all that, it still took me a year to find my first job in the industry that I wanted to get into, right? So during that time, I mean, I may have been a bit picky, hmm. admittedly, right? I really wanted to get a job as an analyst, as an open source intelligence analyst. Yeah. Um, during that time to financially support myself, I actually worked in marketing, which was great because it yeah. taught me a lot about, for example, social media analysis already. It was mm-hmm. a sector that was a bit easier for me to get into and it financed my job search. So I could already upskill during that time. And then eventually I had an interview uh, for an OSIN analyst position with uh, the criminal police in Berlin. And mm-hmm. I got the job, was super happy and it was a great job for, to start out with. It was a great position um, and I pretty much, I contributed to, to their invest, ongoing investigations via open source intelligence analysis. 
That's amazing. So just to summarize, like uh, you, you graduated with two master degrees and then started networking, building up your LinkedIn network. You did internships on the way. Um, and then you also worked in a field that is not OSINT, but still somehow related, namely marketing. And then you eventually got your first OSINT job with the, with the police, um, which is, which is really impressive. So when I look at the blog post, there was one question and I wanted to just dive a little bit deeper into it because I think it's an important point. It was about looking back at how you started and where you are today, what advice you would give, um, for someone who wants to pursue a similar career. And then you mentioned that you, you had to learn to be less apologetic and stand your ground. And you were only able to succeed at interviews after you stopped being super polite and accommodating. And then you mentioned that this might have been a specifically female experience. So can you tell us like from the female perspective, how it was for you? And did you feel anything that, that made it more difficult just because you are a woman, if that makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I grew up in a really privileged position. So I, I had very good starting conditions in, in this life and for my job search. And also financially, I, you know, didn't have any issues in particular. So I just want to stress that I had a lot of advantages in life already, which for example, goes to show that I could do unpaid internships. You know, I had the means to do this, which is why I did it. Yeah, other people don't have those means. Still, I did work in, in some um, fields that were predominantly male-dominated, I must say. Um, that wasn't always a negative thing. It was still quite intimidating as a young female, particularly when you're very young and you've just graduated. Um, you struggle to find a way to be taken seriously. That's what I felt like. Um, that may also just be a feeling or it may be a reality. Obviously, it's my perspective. You know, it's a subjective experience. But I kind of learned or, you know, I, what I thought was right is to work hard, put your head down, work hard, and eventually you'll be noticed for your hard work. Now, this is not always how it goes. And this is, I think, what we all have to learn when we become adults, that hard, hard work doesn't inevitably lead to success. Yeah, so you always got to make sure that you also demonstrate your hard work and you, you learn how to demonstrate results. You learn how to break down, complicate data into storylines, yeah, into digestible bits and pieces. All these things I had to learn. But I have been in some interview situations where, you know, there were 20 people in the room, which is extremely intimidating. And the only female was a secretary, right? So... This isn't always uh, the norm. This isn't always what happens, but I have been in these situations and then you enter the room as a young female and you, you think, well, at least there's one female in the room and throughout the interview, you, you learn that that female is, you know, the, the office manager or the secretary or the admin person. So I found that a bit disheartening and a bit discouraging, right? The, the other point I think that I had to learn to get over with is that I was extremely polite and I'm not impolite now. I hope at least, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> but, um, I was, I was very nice. I was very polite. I was very apologetic. I wanted to please people and I wanted to, you know, help out people, be altruistic, all these kind of things. However, it's not great if you want to be noticed, right? So especially in interview situations, if you don't show something that stands out, then you will not get the job. 
And this is my personal subjective experience, right? But a great resume will, will not automatically get, land you the job because there are so many people these days with great resumes that have gone to great lengths to get to this point in their lives and now they're also, also at this interview and you got to stand out somehow. And when you're just apologetic and you're just nice and you get a bit embarrassed when you don't know things, you, sometimes you don't know the answers Yeah, that happens to their questions, especially if it's one of those structured um, interviews, I'm not sure if you know them, but they're very popular in Germany, for example, to compare people. Um, they may, they all, always ask you the same questions. So it's mm -hmm. like a standard f form. Is it like a personality test? Like, I guess you... part of it may be, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's also to render candidates more comparable. Right, so it's a strukturiertes Auswahlverfahren. I don't know yeah, how to translate I've, that. I've done some of these and I hate them. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't say anything about you. It's just learning for how to do the test and not your skills. Nothing. I I hate those. Yeah, it's very difficult to stand out. So, so I actually got my jobs when I demonstrated a bit of character. Right, mm. and and that didn't happen automatically. I had to force myself to do so, but eventually I got to the point after a year of going through however many interviews and always kind of getting to the second stage, but never to the very end. I mm. got to the stage where I was a bit disillusioned and um, possibly a little less polite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so when you say less polite, you say, give me the shot. <laughs> no. I mean, I wouldn't go quite that far, but it was just that when you don't... You know, we're all in situations where we're being asked questions and we don't know the answer because how mm -hmm. could we possibly predict all the questions we're going to be asked, right? It's yeah. just human and there's no reason to be embarrassed about it. So I stopped being embarrassed, for example. I just mm -hmm. said with all confidence that I had in my heart, I don't know the answer to this. And then there, I had a few situations where there was in the interview room with a lot of people in there, there was awkward silence and they were really testing you. Right. They mm. were really waiting if you would, if you were going to say something else. Yeah. And I just let the silence exist. I just didn't say anything anymore. And then, and then you get, you get over that. And eventually you have done it so, so many times that mm. you become a more confident person, which was great for me. Right. And then eventually I said, well, I don't know the answer to this, but I could Google it for you. And that's what got me the job. Hey, that's, is it the, is it the current job? No, it's not. <laughs> and I will not say which job it was. <laughs> When you apply for an Aussie job, I can Google it for you. Yeah? <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> but, but I can imagine what you just described is intimidating situations, and especially when you're in the room, as you described with 20 people. Like, um, I can't imagine it. And what advice would you have for people, for someone who was you know, in a similar situation like you. So you said, be less apologetic, show some character. And um, can I summarize, is this correctly summarized? Like, don't give AF, um, like this kind of attitude, <laughs> like not completely, like you, you yeah. still want a job and you still want to yeah. be professional, but this is what I got. Is this correct? Or? I mean, I think it's, it comes down to human psychology, really. You know, people find someone who is desperate less appealing, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. the same applies to job interviews. If you're extremely desperate to get the job, 
which you may be. I always was because I never applied mm. for jobs that I didn't want, right? I applied for jobs that yeah. I really wanted. So deep down in my heart, I was desperate to get this job. But you can't reveal that. And eventually you become better at, at you know, displaying more confidence. And I'm, you, and I'm not saying you should pretend like you don't need the job. You don't want the job. Yeah, but just don't... <sighs> Don't let people see how much you really want the job. Essentially, mm. that is what I'm saying, right? So you can be yep. confident, you can lean back a bit, you can be professional, but you don't need to be desperate. And if they put you through a test, also a character test, where they try and make you uncomfortable, then just learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Because mm. if there is awkward silence, then just let it exist. Just let it be. And you'll see what happens. <laughs> Just let it be. <laughs> but it's some really good advice. Um, it's a really good advice here. So thanks for sharing this. Yeah, no, um, I mean, no, no problem. I'm very, I'm very fortunate to be working now in, in an environment where I feel very respected, right? So I feel yeah. very taken seriously. I feel very respected. But that what got me here is obviously also that I learned how to display confidence and how to be more confident about my decisions. Right. And that yeah. doesn't, doesn't mean that you have to be arrogant. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a really good point. And this is also how everyone should be treated at any workplace, not just OSINT, um, but the respect, because I also feel, and this is just talking from my experience that everyone should get the chance, even if it's a junior analyst to just let them do their work and give them, you know, let them just explore things and not to, you know, micromanaging and all that stuff. But from what you just described, I can see um, also many valid points here in that direction as well. So thanks again. Um, so we talked about now the career, um, your career, you explained to us, you got the police job. And then I think you didn't mention it, but after the police, you then applied for the position at Hensold, I assume. No, I had, I had a job in between actually, which um, was in a research project. I, so essentially I worked in academia as a counterterrorism research associate with a focus on um, Islamist extremism. Mm -hmm. And we researched, we predominantly researched about early warning signs of um, terrorist attacks, right? And it was oh, a, wow. it, so that was kind of like an open source intelligence adjacent field, right? So you needed mm -hmm. to obviously be uh, experienced in that field as well. But uh, because of my studies where I specialized in online radicalization and counterterrorism analysis, um, I landed this job where I worked at the um, Psychological University in Berlin. And it was a project with project partners who were the Bavarian Criminal Police and the German University of Policing. Okay. So yeah, I did that for a bit more than a year. It was extremely interesting and I obviously can't talk too much about it, but um, mm. Yeah, that's that was a job. It does sound I, really interesting. And because of my background, I would ask you more questions now, but let's keep this for another time yeah. <laughs> or if you're allowed to talk about this. So, um, but that sounds really interesting. And then after that, you got the Hensold. Yeah. Yeah. Then after that, I, um, I applied for the Hensold analytics, um, position and I, I pretty much had a newsletter, um, well, it wasn't really a newsletter. It was more like a news alert set for the search term OSINT mm -hmm. and OSINT analyst. And that's how I got um, these alerts sent by, by, by Google and uh, Indeed. So 
um, that's why I'm also doing this podcast essentially because I'm a huge fan of of, of your project. You know, the Ocean Jobs oh, cool. website. I think uh, this is going to be extremely useful for many people. Um, like myself, you know, back in the day when I was searching for jobs in this field to have it actually on one website, you know, with one yeah. newsletter that can be sent to your inbox, which is tailored to what to, already tailored to the field that you want to apply for, you know. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. Um, and I hope it's also of use to many other people, because as you just explained, this is exactly the reason to help people in their careers. So Lynn, just to summarize, um, we talked about your career now, um, and thanks again for sharing also the challenges. Um, and now let's uh, move on to the next section, which is also the last section. Um, it's about the skills. So here, just a, a quick question, which is, you know, what skills, and you mentioned it in, in the blog post as well, that's why I don't want to talk um, too much about it, but what are like the top skills and attributes someone should have or should acquire throughout, you know, his, his or her career? to land a similar job um, like you have right now at Hansold? Yeah, so obviously everything I already mentioned helps, right? So if you're personally interested in OSINT, then try to upskill as much as you can, whether that's just via YouTube tutorials, there are a few really good ones out there, or whether that's by, you know, reading an OSINT um, manual and going through it step by step, which is what I did, for example. I read, I don't know, a 400-page open source intelligence manual at the beginning of my career and I went through it on the internet step by step and <laughs> tried it out. Impressive, yeah. <laughs> um, but I really, I really like, or you can go to Coursera or other platforms, you know, and um, get actual certificates. That's also possible. But um, what I always like to stress is other than that, as a basis really to, or foundation for all of that, you got to be interested in lifelong learning, as we already mentioned, and problem solving. And most of all, you got to be able to not let your curiosity die. So, so um, I am personally a very curious person. So I just find everything interesting. I kind of need to limit the things that I want to look into because I just want to look into everything. And that yeah. really... <laughs> Sometimes it's a bit disorientating, but in reality, it's, yeah. it's very helpful because if you have a natural curiosity, you will be able to just motivate yourself and it won't be so hard, right? And if you bring that to a job and you can absolutely say that in a job interview as well, that you are a curious person and that that is extremely valuable because, you know, yeah. you will be able to upskill by yourself you will be able to naturally learn new things because you want to, right? Yeah. And these things, I think this is one of the most important skills because in reality, and um, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, uh, all skills can be taught. That's really what it com comes down to. It, most, most things can really be taught. So you just got to be willing to be taught and to learn. These are all great points, the curiosity and that all skills can be taught, as you just said. I mean, um, we've seen in your career story how you moved from two master degrees um, to get this job throughout your career. And this was all done through learning all these skills. And I think one of the most important things that you also mentioned is the curiosity bit. Because um, without curiosity, you don't have the drive or motivation to, you know, to put in the extra hour. 
Um, so, so thanks, thanks for sharing this, Lynn. So, so this will also conclude our interview with Lynn Dudenhofer. Um, I want to say thanks again, Lynn, for joining me today and then talking us through AI and OSINT. Really interesting where you work and what you do, talking to us about your career. And then also lastly, about the skills that one should have in order to pursue a similar career, um, such as, um, working at Hensold as an OSINT and IMINT analyst. So thanks so much. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. Been a pleasure. And for our listeners, if you have any questions and you want to reach out to Lynn, I will put all her um, social media links into the show notes. I will also put a link um, to Hensold Analytics in the show notes if you're interested in working there and explore what's on offer. And if you like this episode and want to support our show, there's only one small thing you can do, which is either just share it, tell your colleagues and friends about our podcast, or just leave a nice review. This would help us and support the show. Thank you so much and see you next time.